Good morning. Today is Sunday, October the 20th, 2013. It's actually the teacher's birthday. And we are at the First United Methodist Church of Fountain Valley, California, through the Bible Sunday School class. We've been in the book of Psalms. We're going to be at Psalm 75 today. And Bill Beverly is going to open us in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for this wonderful day. We thank Thee for this opportunity come together and study thy word. We thank thee for the birthday of our teacher. May she have many more happy ones. Father, be with us. Go with us. In thy name we ask. Amen. Amen. That was my just before Well, we're exactly at the halfway marker if there's 150 psalms. And we're at Psalm 75 in the book two of the psalms. This one um, is according to the choir master, according to do not destroy. <laughs> Isn't that great? Sounds like my purging room. Do not destroy. <laughs> May I ask a question? Yes. I see where we've got book one, two, and three of the Psalms. Yeah. I don't understand that. Well, um, I think it might have something to do with scrolls. That's what I think it might have something to do with because they didn't have the printing press back in those days. And these, um, that's what I think it might be. At some point, somebody organized them, but I'm wondering if it had to do with how much could fit on a scroll. Okay. That's my guess. Yeah. That's why there's a first and second Samuel and a first and second Chronicles. Okay. Okay, a Psalm of Asaph. And of course, Asaph was a choir director in David's time, and then his family continued that legacy. So they think, because of some of the psalms and when, what they talk about in the history of Israel, that when some of the psalms are entitled as a psalm of Asaph, it could have been the family of, and not necessarily Asaph, because Asaph's descendants carried on his, his work in the church. So we give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks for your name is near. Now, the word is nigh you, even on your lips. Just say his name. Call upon the name of the Lord. That one, that one song the choir has done with Pastor Don. Yeah. Have faith in his word. Call upon the name of the Lord. He is near you. He's on your lips. And when you say the name of Jesus, the enemy must flee. We recount your wondrous deeds. Now we have a little quotation mark. I hope you notice that. And God's going to start talking, and you can decide which person of the Trinity you think this might be. Okay. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keeps steady its pillars. Well, you know that passage, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me and we're one. That might be good to remember here because I think the time is appointed by the Father because Jesus said, I can't tell you the time. My Father knows the time. But then, when it comes to holding the earth steady, that kind of sounds like Jesus to me, the creator of the world. And I was thinking of, you know, that logo of Allstate. You know, they got the hands. You're in good hands with Allstate. Well, 
I, if you can visualize the globe and can you see the steady pillars, the everlasting arms, underneath are the everlasting arms, that we know the earth is going to shake at the time, at the appointed time. But it will be the Lord himself who holds it steady until he rolls it up like a garment. So I kind of think father and son are in chorus here with these quotation marks. But when all seems like it's shaking and insecure, it is I. It is I. And remember, isn't that what the Lord Jesus said to the apostles as they were on the bumpy waters? Is that you, Lord? It is I. Be not afraid. It is I. So I like that. It is I. And I love that Jesus is on the pages of the Old Testament. He didn't yes. just get born yeah. when Mary accepted the word of the angel Gabriel and that he didn't exist before that. What was Jesus doing before he became flesh? I say to the boastful, don't be boastful. <laughs> do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Well, if you can think of the beasts that have horns, rams, remember one got caught in the thicket with his horns. Um, if you've seen the pictures of the moose, if you've seen the pictures of the, of the creatures that have horns, that's part of their pride. And their horns are actually part of their defense too, but it's, a, it's their boastful side. And the horn, you don't want to connect with the horn. And it's also a symbol of resisting of the yoke. And we don't want to resist God's yoke. In fact, God, the Lord said, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. John said in 1 John, and his commandments are not grievous. They're not hard. They're not hard. Don't lift up your horn or speak with haughty neck. You know? The neck is always, when it's stiff, is a symbol of resistance, pride, stubbornness. You know, we'll say, oh, you're such a stiff-necked people. Okay, such a stiff-necked people, a haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. Don't be looking all around you. Where does my lifting up come from? But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. And that's a good underlined passage because truly the Lord is the one who lifts up the head that hangs down. And the Lord will lift you up to whatever position you're meant to have. Nothing we have we can claim, even any position we have, any title we have. Um, I know every time I get up in front of those classes of accountants it is God that gave me that place to speak to them and it could have been one of them he lifted up but he gifted me he caused favor to fall on me and I got to do it it is God who lifts up one and puts down another and we know that from uh, the book of James I wrote that down somewhere we have this same concept but I think it's James 4, chapter 4. God resists the proud, 
gives grace to the humble. James is right after the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 10, exactly. You might uh, go back a little to uh, verse 6, but he gives more grace. He's talking about yearning for the spirit he's made to dwell in us. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Grace, grace to it. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, therefore to God. Because remember, when you see a therefore, what? find out what it's there for. <laughs> Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you mm -hmm. sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. There's that passage in the Old Testament, he has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So humility is something that the Lord prizes, meekness. Remember he said, when you come into the feast, take the lowest table, place, let them say, oh, no, I don't want you to sit there, I want you to sit up here. It's more embarrassing to take the wrong seat and be asked to go down. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Yeah. So remember it is God that lifts you up. So when you're in a humble place, it is of God's doing. And when you're in an exalted place, it is God's doing. That's the most important thing, I think, to remember. And to always approach God knowing that everything... I love those little prayers of, of uh, Chad. I think it's Chad. Oh, yes, it is. Chad. And he keeps coming back to that, don't trust in your paycheck. He said it another yes, Sunday, too, yes. and I thought it was so cute. Yeah. He said it again today, and I thought, what is on that little man's mind? That he is so thinking about that paycheck, okay? But it is so true that we so easily trust in the things of the flesh, the things of our world, Jesus said, don't labor for work, for food that perishes. Labor for the food that gives eternal life. Your father already knows you have need of all those things. Sometimes when you just get into one of your worry modes, just go back to that passage. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5-ish, 6-ish. Just read them all right in there because he brings you back to the point that you're been gifted everything you have. And I loved how Chad said, can we just thank you for what you've already given us and just take joy in that. Wasn't that just so beautiful? It's very sweet. Yeah, very, very sweet. So, you're going to make a good preacher. Yeah. For in the hand of the Lord, there's a cup. And remember, you can't drink the cup. Someone had to drink it for you. I love, I will remember what John said today about Prim Kumar. Yes. You have to talk to a Hindu. Prim Kumar used to teach us the way a Hindu understands. And to tell them it's by faith and by grace, when they think they have to work, is not to tell them. To tell them there is work and someone else did it for you because you could never do it for yourself. You couldn't climb up on that cross. You couldn't do it. You couldn't drink any of the cup. Remember when the... Mother of the Sons of Thunder came to Jesus. 
he gave her audience, and what do you want, ma'am? And she says, I want one to sit on your right hand and one on your left when you come into your glory. You don't know what you're asking me for. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism? No, they couldn't do it. These sons of thunder, you know, they would just barely class the place and want to call down the fire and brimstone on the people that wouldn't receive the word. That's kind of where they were. So you see, this cup of the Lord, the cup of God's wrath on sin, we can't drink it. There is only one that can drink that cup, and he asked that if it was possible, could it be removed from him? But then, not my will, but yours be done, is how he prayed about having to drink that cup. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed. And Christ drank this cup for us, the cup we deserved, he drank for us. And he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked, the exaltation of themselves, I will cut off. But the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. If you think back to your, your understanding of the Old Testament, whenever there was somebody in trouble and the king was after them, and if they wanted any mercy, where would they go? They'd hang on to the horns of the altar. Do you remember that? Oh, yes. Yes. I'm not going to hang on to my altar, or my own horn, but maybe this horn will save me. And they'd pry their hands loose from the hands of the horns of the altar, and then they would get their punishment. Yes. So the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. We have a horn. We're not to look all around us, east, west, a wilderness as a way to lift it up. But God, who in his judgments, in his equities, puts down one and lifts up the horn of someone else. And you know there's a system to it, and that's why we are to, if we have food and raiment therewith, to be content. Because it's of God's choosing. And we, we can't know the mind of the Lord. We can't know. And he raises up and then he takes down. And when you're being raised up, you're humble. And when you're being taken down, you're humble. Because it is God who is doing it. You know, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what Job said. Because we only get glimpses of it, we can't understand it, we see little pieces, we don't see the rest. But it is God who is working all things to culminate in the complete exaltation of Christ for all that he has done. And that's what we read. We can go all through the scriptures, Hebrews, Revelation, it all says, it's him. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So that puts perspective on our lives, you know? Perspective on your lives. I remember when I was in school, I was getting ready to graduate from the eighth grade. My parents didn't have any money, and I wanted to go to the Catholic high school. I had no money, and there was a scholarship that would have paid for half a year, which seemed like the world to me. And I didn't get it. And I didn't get it not because I wasn't getting good grades. I didn't get it because 
they gave it to a girl who not only gave, got good grades, but she also did a lot of after-school work and extracurricular things, which I couldn't do because my mom worked and I had to go home and take care of my sisters. And I felt so horrible not getting that $100. That was $100 is what I felt horrible about. But in 1968, that was a lot of money. Since my first year was going to cost $200. Okay, so that was half of it. And I had to just get to the place, and I know I did it somehow. God didn't give me that money. If he wanted me to have it, he was going to give it to me. But he didn't give it to me, and that's just the way it's got to be. Okay? And that's how you somehow times have to be. Otherwise, you strive and strive and strive, and you get bitter. That you were not lifted up at the appropriate moment to be lifted up. Yeah. So I didn't mean to speak so much on that. Maybe it meant something to somebody, but... Um, I love that. Our lives are in his hands. He can do with us what he wants to do with us. Psalm 76, also a psalm of Asaph, but a song also. It's like the last one. In Judah, God is known. Now, I think the phrases are huge because it could have been said, God is known in Judah. But here in Judah, the psalmist is taken with the fact that God can make himself known anywhere he wanted to, but he actually chose to make himself known in Judah. What translation do you have? ESV. What translation do you have, Peggy? Um, I have an ESV. I have a couple of different ones. Mine too. But mine does say the other way. God Yours does. known in Judah. Interesting. And yeah. that's happened a couple of times when you said it could have been said this way, and I look and that's the way it's said in my Tell me your translation again. The no, what the NASB. NASB. Oh, the NASB. And I used to teach I used to teach out of that one to start, and then somewhere in 07 or 08 I switched to the yes, ESV. Uh-huh. I remember when it happened. But it's interesting, and either way is correct. You know it is. Oh, yes. But it's interesting but it's that one scholar felt this way. And one the other way. And that's why I think, you know the breadth of meaning is important. In diplomatic relations, you can just say something wrong. You didn't mean it to be taken the way it was. This is why the study of language is so huge. Because things can be said. You've probably taken hurt out of something someone said to you that wasn't even meant to be hurtful. Because of the words meant this to you. So I think it's really good to read a lot of translations. Mm -hmm. I do. Um, I know one time John Teague told me, and I've always thought about this, because you know he handed out a lot of Bibles, people feel like because they know pastors study Greek and the ancient texts and the Septuagint, and they study those things, and we're with English, he said, there's that sense that you can never really have the true meaning of the scripture without going to the ancient texts. And granted, there is value to it, especially because the culture in the Middle East is so different than the culture we've all grown up with, and to understand the nuance of things. Dan Eversley said that too. But John Teague said, I think it does English-speaking people kind of a disservice that they feel like, okay, I'll read the Bible in English the rest of my life, but I'll never be as good as if I could read it in the ancient texts. And he said he doesn't really think that's true. He thinks that the texts and the people that have worked on the translations have done good jobs. As long as it's a translation, you know, and John's always been clear, this is a paraphrase, yes, yes. this is a translation. 
The paraphrases are helpful, like John said, when you just want to meditate on the concepts. And it's said to you a different way. So he likes that. There's that new, the, the message. There's another one that New Life Ministries hands out that I have. I forget what it one, it's called. Maybe it is the message, too. But um, I didn't like that paraphrase Bible at all. You didn't? See, that's interesting. Because it takes all the beauty of the language away to me. I mean, there's so many things that are so beautifully written in the Bible yes. when you read them. And then if you paraphrase that... I'm kind of on your wavelength, yeah. And that, I think that uh, going back to what it means in the ancient text, like when we were studying Genesis and it said that God hovered over the... Yes. Um, the deep. Yeah. The deep. And like, uh, like a mother hen over her chicks... Well, you don't get that when you just read. But unless you read down at the bottom, it tells you what it meant in the original Greek and Hebrew, and that gives a whole different meaning to the way that he was creating the earth. I completely agree with you. In fact, I was thinking right now, this is what you think on my mind tangents, but you remember in the Way Down workshop where they talked about people that eat too much they're not enjoying their mouthfuls. They're always taking new mouthfuls, trying to get some satiation that they're not getting. You remember this part? I remember this part. Oh, yeah. And so they teach you when you eat to savor the taste. You don't need 10 swallows if you haven't gotten the beauty out of the first swallow. And I know this is so important, and I've watched people that eat too much that they do that. They're shovers. They're shovelers. Yeah. There's something about the volume as much as the taste. And I think for myself, the older and longer I've studied the Bible, I savor the phrase more than I used to savor. Like, it is I. That phrase, I feel, is so important because of how it repeats later in Scripture. It is I. Where you might go, it is I, I keep studying the pillars. And you could just go on to the next one. So... I think that that's the thing, that the texts in themselves are beautiful. Even some of the names of places that I've never been to. You know, we had the snow on Zalman that one time. Well, let's talk about Zalman for a minute. What what happened at Zalman? You know what I mean? That's, That's how I find I am. And then I don't have to read so fast because that's one way of reading. But to savor the phrase, to savor the phrase... Keep steady its pillars and then to visualize it to me. Yeah, that the earth is on pillars and holding those pillars is God himself. Say, I just love that. We could just say God's in control of the whole world, but it doesn't say the same to me as to see the earth and the pillars that it rests on. Well, if you watch that movie Gravity, you'll have a lot of thought about space and orbits and you know, they're always looking down at the earth from their position above earth. And even the heat of entering the earth's atmosphere is amazing to me. And that little thing is just shaking as it's coming into the earth's atmosphere. And they were talking, each of them, about what they liked in space. She and George Clooney, before George Clooney dies. But she said she liked the silence of outer space. It's just silent. It was quiet. And you could see the majesty, and it was quiet. Okay? 
So I thought that was interesting. But you're looking at the earth and you're thinking, why is that sphere just suspended there? Why is it just there? And it's okay just being there. I know it, yeah. You know? The very so, first picture from the from a space capsule, probably was one of the Gemini's or something, of Earth. Uh-huh. The whole the whole nation seemed to be in awe of seeing that round ball with familiar landmarks hanging there. Yes, hanging there. That's what the movie, and that's why the big screen. I paid the big bucks to see it with the three D too. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> you know, I've never really cared about seeing three D movies, but I really want to see that one. In and you know, you'll find out there's not as many showings of it not in three D. That's all. Oh, sure. That's okay. the thing I noticed. Most of the theaters all had it in three D. <laughs> but I, I just yeah, yeah. I paid the, the extra money. It is a lot, but three D. And I thought when they were coming out with three D TV. So I. There's this point when they're traveling in space, and George says to her, he's trying to lighten up the moment because they're in serious guana. Yeah. Okay. And he says, okay, where down on there are you from? He goes, trying to get her to talk about it. She's from some little place in Indiana or something. She mentions at Lake Murphy or something. Is there a place like that? I don't remember. I didn't know the place. But I just, you know, you look at it. You have been listening to Bible study verse by verse with Vicki Mulak. For more of these podcasts and some resources, please go to our website at www.biblestudyvbv.org. O-R-G. That's www.biblestudy, V as in Victor, B as in boy, V as in Victor. The VBV stands for Verse by Verse. Dot org, O-R-G. There you can register and contact us, or just leave a comment. We welcome your feedback. Thank you. This is George Mulek.